Hello, everyone. So good to be with you. And like Brie already said, happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there. Today, I'm repping um, the sweater that my grandma gave me in her honor. And I hope all of us got a chance today to honor our moms, give them a call. Um, maybe not your mom, but just a mom in your life. Get to love on them a little bit. We are missing you guys. We can't wait to be with you again. And we're hoping that you guys are getting to find moments of depth with the Lord right now. And as we continue in this House of Acts series, our goal is that our church, even in this crazy moment, we get to be a place where we find depth, where we go after what God is after, and where we really get to learn from the Church of Acts what it looks like for this move of God to expand, for it to be a people who are bringing heaven to earth. If you guys are with us last week, you heard Andoni speak about um, testimony from chapter nine. I hope you guys got the chance to write down those testimonies, to share them with someone, to get to really learn from that. And if you missed that message, you guys should go listen to it on our podcast or find it on YouTube because it was fire. And today we're moving from chapter nine into Acts chapter 10. And we're actually going to go through an entire chapter today. So Buckle up. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I am going to um, summarize parts and then really focus in on a couple key passages with you guys. So you guys can turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 10 right now, as we'll be kind of skipping around within that passage. So in Acts 10, we see kind of a pretty sudden shift from where we were in chapter 9. We leave that story of Aeneas and Dorcas, and we move into a story about a new character. We're introduced to a man named Cornelius. And so Cornelius, he is a Roman centurion. He is a Gentile man. He is kind of the epitome of exactly what it looks like for Roman occupation to be in Israel. Pretty much what an Israelite would not like is in this guy. Cornelius. But when we meet Cornelius, we're basically meeting someone with an outstanding reputation. In verse two, it says, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So, I mean, I would love that to be said about me. We're meeting Cornelius and seeing a guy who he loves the Lord. He is in prayer regularly. He has a reputation and a family who is known as devout and loving Jesus. So, we zoom in on Cornelius' story, and we do, we meet him as he's praying. We meet him as God is giving him vision. God is telling him to send for this guy named Peter. And so one of the first things we see from Cornelius is him being obedient. He sends for Peter. So fast forward a little bit, and that the narrative of this chapter moves pretty quickly to Peter. And you guys have probably heard of Peter. Uh, we've met him already in Acts, but he is that devout Israelite, a learner of the Torah. He is now following Jesus the Messiah, but following him as the promised one to the Israelite people. So we come in on Peter and he's also having a vision. He is also in this time of prayer. And we see this vision that Peter's getting around animals and around foods that can be eaten, kind of Torah food laws. And in verse 15, it says, um, that God gave him a vision and said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So Peter's trying to figure out what this vision means. He's like, I'm seeing all these animals. I'm seeing that God's saying not to call unclean what he has called clean, but what does this actually mean? Is it about me giving up the foods that I eat? And so next, fast forward a little bit more, and we see three men that Cornelius has sent to kind of get Peter, to bring him to him. So this is Cornelius's obedience coming to pick up Peter, and Peter says yes. So we have this first hint that Peter is understanding what that vision that he got meant. 
And in the next scene, he jumps forward again, where you see Cornelius and he has his family and his friends gathered and they're waiting for Peter. So Peter has figured out what his vision meant. I want you guys to hold on to that vision about um, the meats and about what it means to be clean, unclean, what God said, because we're going to dive into that a little deeper. But here we see Peter starts talking with this group of people that's assembled, the family, the friends of Cornelius. So I want you guys, the first chunk that we're going to start in now that we've caught up in the story a little bit is in verse 28. You can find that with me. And it reads this. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So Cornelius here is kind of giving us a recap of the story so far as well. Verse 33, so I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So the pieces are coming together. We're seeing this story of Cornelius meet with the story of Peter. The visions that they're both receiving from the Lord kind of start to meet. We're seeing the, the mesh of worlds and how God is working these two together. We're seeing that Peter is, it's clicking what this vision means. It's clicking where he's supposed to be. And the words out of his mouth give us a huge hint to that. But I think it's here after that passage that we do. I know we've been moving kind of fast, but we need to stop and see that there's some really important things that are happening here that we need to connect to. The first thing that's happening here is we're seeing that a life of prayer is a life of revelation. These two men, Cornelius and Peter, they are people who are regularly praying. We meet Cornelius during his three o'clock prayer time. We meet Peter during his noon prayer time. This is not something that's new to them, something that they just started today. But these are men who have chosen faithfulness, who have chosen to keep going to the presence of God. And God is revealing himself to him. If you feel like your prayer life isn't being met with revelation, if you feel like there's not life found there, like it isn't changing anything, I just want to encourage you today, keep praying. That encouragement is for me too. Keep praying because it is that life of faithful, relational discipline where we keep coming, we keep asking, we keep moving, that God is going to reveal himself. He wants to speak to you. And like we see with Peter and Cornelius, there's when you live this life of prayer, what he speaks in a moment. And you don't even know when that moment necessarily is going to be. But there's a moment when God speaks and it can change history. There's a moment when God speaks into it and it can show the entire world what his heart is for them. A life of prayer is a life of revelation. So step into it. The second thing that we can learn from this passage that we just read is that revelation you receive may be preparation. So look at Peter. Look at how he's receiving his revelation. This is where we're going to kind of dig into that vision a little bit. So he gets the vision about the animals, about the unclean food, and he doesn't know what it means. But he receives it. He takes it. And even though he doesn't understand what God was asking him, am I supposed to like abandon my practice, the things I've been practicing forever, what I've learned from the Torah? 
No. And it wasn't until Cornelius' men showed up and told Peter about Cornelius that Peter realizes, oh, God's picture to me is so much bigger than being about food. It was confirmation of these men when they invited him to Cornelius' house that it enabled Peter to see the fullness of the revelation that was coming towards him, the fullness of a revelation that would give him the ability to say, oh, I can go into Cornelius' house. You see, with an Israelite man, he wouldn't enter the home of a non-Jewish person due to the fact of like ritual uncleanness, of impurity. But because Peter received that vision from the Lord, he was learning, he knew, okay, there's something you wanna teach me about clean and unclean. And then when Cornelius' men show up, it clicks and he's like, this is what you wanted to show me. He has the freedom to enter into his home because he realizes that God's not declaring something about food. He's declaring that these people are part of the family of Abraham through Jesus. He's declaring that these Gentile people are also a part of the family of God. So as Peter being someone who makes the way for Jesus, Peter should go, Peter should stay, Peter should share the gospel with them, invite them into that story and into this Jesus movement. The revelation Peter received prepared him to be able to walk in step with what God was doing, to walk in step with God's will for that moment. So we, as people, we need to steward our revelation well. Even like we just, just saw, if we're praying, we're going to be receiving revelation, but how are you stewarding it? What you receive from God, it might not make sense right away. It might not click to you like, oh, that's a, that's a word for my life right now that I need to keep. But if we steward them well, we hold those words as treasures. We get to see, okay, I'm going to hold this. I feel like God has spoken this. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to share it with other people. And I'm going to ask God, what is that for? I'm going to write these promises down. I'm going to record things because anything that I hear from you is treasured to me. And that word may be a word that maybe isn't for right now, but preparing you for something, preparing you so that when you encounter the situation that God gave you the word for, it clicks, it makes sense. And you can be like Peter and walk in step with his will without hesitation. We need to steward our revelation well. I think part of the reason that we sometimes have delayed understanding of the things we hear from the Lord isn't just so that we can learn dependence on God and so that we can learn what it looks like to walk in faith when we're not sure. Those are definitely parts. But I think it also in part is to show the need that we have of living out this walk with Jesus together, that we can't do it as an island. We need the confirmation. We need the words from other people to kind of figure out what God is speaking. Um, I have kind of a personal example of this that I've been even just lately getting to kind of see pieces of it come together. But I work another job right now and I work for a company in Portland. It's a home goods electric company. And about a couple years ago, two years ago now, I was thinking about quitting that job. I had interviewed with a bridal company and I wanted to go work in that field. And so I was getting ready to kind of quit my one job, move to the other but I wanted to take it to the Lord and see what he had to say. I, during that time, received revelation from the Lord. And basically the gist of it was that he told me to stay put and to learn to celebrate the moves of others. And this did not sound as fun to me as celebrating my own moves. I am someone who like, I love to keep moving. I love to think about what's next. I love to think like, where can I go next? I have like a hard time with contentment maybe, but this was a time where God was saying, nope, you're going to learn to sit and be where you are and celebrate others, which is still honestly hard for me sometimes. 
um, because I'll see people's success and movements and think that God isn't good enough to do it again. But spoiler alert, even from this story, he is. So my reaction to this word that I received from the Lord was, yes, going to do this. So I denied the other job, stayed at my job, was like, I'm going to sit in this. I'm going to learn what I have. And it was cool. In that season, I did. I got to see my husband got new opportunities that I got to celebrate. I had friends who were kind of getting like momentum and dreams that they had for a lot of like a long time that I got to learn to celebrate. Again, total learning process. Um, but I, I got to learn and I was like, okay, this is it. God is teaching me. And even though I'm antsy, he's teaching me what it looks like to celebrate other people. And I was like, cool, lesson learned, but God wasn't done. About six months later after this, we were starting to plan a church. Alex had invited a few of us from the youth team to come along on this adventure that would be Saints Hill. And so I had been helping with that, coming alongside that in any way I could. And I remember um, Alex called me one day and pretty much offered me, for me, like a dream job, doing what I get to do now with you guys at Saints Hill. And it was crazy because if I would have taken that bridal job, I wouldn't have gotten to take this job because my current part-time job that I have allowed me to go part-time and to take the church job and to do both. Um, so even then I was like, God, that's why you did it. That's why you took me out of like, out of that bridal position, you taught me that lesson. It's so that I could come and be at Saints Hill. But God still wasn't done. He was still revealing more about that revelation. And just this last week, I got to have a conversation with a friend of mine. She called me and we were FaceTiming because that's how people talk now. And she um, was telling me about kind of just like a dream of hers that she's had for a long time, but that she has a friend in her life who is going to basically embark on that same dream. And she was feeling defeated. Wait, I, well, if she's doing it, that means it's never going to happen for me. And God's never given me the same like push, pushed it the same way or like made it come to fruition for me. And instantly I was reminded of everything that I've learned in that two years of what it looks like one, to celebrate other people while getting to be content. But two, like what I've learned from Alex and other leaders at our church of like, there is room to celebrate people and also to know that God can do it again for you. And so I got to basically sit with her and be like, oh, this is revelation that God gave me and he's connecting the dots. And now it's connecting with you. And that revelation got to move her into a place where she's like, oh, I'm receiving my own things from God and learning my own things and kind of giving a filter to see it through. And it just, the big picture I feel like that I was finally getting was like that revelation from God. It wasn't just for me. The revelation that God gives us is never just for you. We need each other. We need each other to be listening. We need each other to be transparent. We need each other to be bold because God is speaking to the people who follow him. And we need to be people who can confirm with one another, who can encourage one another, and who share what he's doing. So again, steward revelation well. Steward your testimony well. Hold it tightly. Treasure it. And as the family of God, the expanse of the kingdom, it needs people who treasure God's revelation greatly, even if we don't understand it yet. And we know that the word of God just might be preparing us for a moment that changes everything like we see here in Acts. The third thing I want us to see from this before we move on is that Holy Spirit doesn't play favorites. Each of God's people can receive from him. Think about if Peter would have looked at Cornelius and instead of saying, 
oh, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. He said, well, you're a Gentile. There's no way that you can understand God like I do. I say, like, my vision must have been about food. You're still unclean. I'm a bounce. There would have not been that shift in history if Peter would have thought that he had the rights on hearing from God. If Peter had thought that he was so sure in what he knew and didn't let God shift his picture through someone else, he would have missed out on what God is doing. He would have missed out on God's heart for the world. He would have missed out on a whole chance to partner in the expanse of the kingdom of God because he discounted someone. We need to learn from Peter's humility, his ability to say, I'm not the only one who hears from God. We're in an age of tons of denominations, social media profiles, Google bios, and it's so easy to think that we know someone and discount them before we've even heard what they have to say. And I'm talking about in the church, in the family of God, the people of God. It is so easy to let our own biases take place and think that, oh, I'm, I'm the type of person who hears from God, so I'm going to dismiss the others. Let us be very wary of not listening because somebody is in a different camp than us. Holy Spirit doesn't play favorites. And he may be giving someone that looks different than you a word that can shape the church at large. Now, of course, we need to be vigilant. We need to care about good doctrine. We need to care about being able to know the scriptures. And everything comes back to the scriptures under the authority of the scriptures. And there is false teaching out there that we need to be wary of. But at the same time, we don't wanna be people who miss out on God's vision because we're too busy being prideful about our own vision, about our own way of making things happen. When I first graduated high school, I went to Bible college. And so fun, so exciting. Got to go to a campus full of people who were there just to study the scriptures, hang out together, study the scriptures some more. And I was in, I was in a dream. I learned so much. But there is something about when you get a bunch of Bible students on a campus 24-7, things just get kind of weird. You know the movie Mean Girls, how they have all their different cliques that they have, or really any movie that's based on high school? You have your freshmen, your ROTC guys, your geeks, your plastics. Well, Bible college is kind of similar, but the cliques are not so much based on those things. They're based on your, kind of like your theology or your thought process. So you have the Calvinists, you have the worship guys, you have the aspiring pastor's wives, you have the annihilationists, so on, so on. Different like theological pieces or thought pieces that have grouped people together. And we divided on this basis throughout campus. You would go in the cafeteria and it's like, the Calvinist table, or go in the cafeteria and it's like, oh, there's like the worship guy table. And like funny, but also I know like from the group of people that I was with, we missed out on learning from people who thought differently than us because we decided to group in this way and to not learn from people who thought differently. I didn't even understand the theological concepts that people were grouping on, but I just decided that like, oh, I don't care about hearing about yours because it freaks me out. And I do, I do believe that theology is so important. I believe that there are false teachings we need to be wary of. But as we always come back to the scripture, we also need to believe that God is speaking to people who are different than us. I needed to believe it then. And I think I missed out on revelation that God was giving to people because I was so busy worrying about avoiding people who thought differently. 
And that's what it means to be a thinking people, right? We're not afraid of different thought patterns. We always, we're always coming back here. We're always coming back to the truth of God. But we also in that can listen to people who have different ideas because we're coming back here. We have, we have a safety net. So I almost wanna challenge you guys with something really practical in this time when we're at home and we have some extra time. Try listening to a teacher that you don't normally listen to. I know that I have like my three or four favorite teachers that I cycle through. I know that I can trust them to have on point, good Bible teaching, give me something. I'm like, yes, that is from the Lord. Don't lose that, keep that. But I think there's something really cool when we branch out a little bit. Maybe it's somebody from a different denomination or somebody that you're like, I think they're kind of boring or somebody that you've heard is kind of wacky and you give them a chance to to hear what they have to say. I think often when we give those people a chance, we realize, oh, like maybe I don't agree with everything you're saying. Maybe some of this actually isn't matching up with the scriptures, but there's pieces in there of truth because Holy Spirit doesn't play favorites because God is speaking to his people. And in the same vein, you guys, um, Never discount yourself from hearing from God, from partnering with him in saving the world. A Roman centurion like Cornelius would have been the last one that Peter and other leaders of the movement would have thought could hear from God. And maybe Cornelius at the same time was like, oh yeah, somebody like Peter, much more likely to hear from God. But he didn't discount himself. He believed and he moved in that belief. And the same goes for us. It's not people who have gone to seminary who can hear from God. It's not people who have an education. It's not people who work for a church. It's not people who were raised in the church for a certain amount of time. Whatever it is, there is nothing that discounts you from hearing the voice of God. Holy Spirit does not play favorites. And he is going to speak to you because he speaks to people who want to listen. I want to encourage you guys that wherever you're at, Holy Spirit, he does want to pour himself out on you. So remember that he does not play favorites. You are in the family and you get to hear and receive from him. And part of not showing favorites is that the Gentile people not only were clean, but they were invited into this family story of Israel to receive the same good news. Look at verse 36 with me. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Peter is pointing them back. He's reminding them that Jesus Christ is who the prophet spoke of. He's actually in verse 36 alluding to a certain prophet, to Isaiah. In Isaiah 52, 7, it reads this. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. This good news, this history is no longer just for Israel. Peter is pointing back to their exile history. It's now becoming a prophetic inheritance for the Gentiles as well. And then an exile history makes the good news of the church and what Jesus is doing that much sweeter and also points to what it looks like to live in the way of Jesus in their time and in our time. The word exile was standing out specifically to me right now. Um, I'm reading through a book by the Barna Group and it's called Faith for Exiles. The authors put forward this idea of a digital Babylon. So kind of thinking ancient Babylon in the scriptures, this pagan but spiritual, this hyper-stimulated, multicultural, imperial crossroads. um, And it homed the Judean exiles, homed exiles of Israel. And the authors of this book, they coined this term digital Babylon for our present moment. So kind of saying the same things, hyper-stimulated, multicultural, imperial crossroads, 
And it's this virtual home that's available to anyone with a Wi-Fi connection or with a phone. And those who live counterculturally, those who live in the way of Jesus, in that digital Babylon, they are exiles in our time. We are exiles in our time living the way of Jesus. And I thought this was super interesting, but also really pertinent right now. We're in a time where technology is much bigger in our lives, even than before. We're a very digital age. Technology has always been a huge part, but now we're working with technology. We're communicating with technology. We're doing school with technology. Anything that like used to not be technological is now replaced. We're doing church with technology. Like it's nuts. And so I think that like to look at where we are right now and how much time we're spending, that question really stuck out to me of, Am I living as a resident of this digital Babylon or as an exile, this countercultural Jesus way? I want to read you guys a quote from the book, and it says this. The songs we listen to, the shows and movies we watch, the platforms we socialize on, the news we consume, all of these and more create a vision of what is real and how best to respond to that reality. Digital Babylon is constantly telling us at a very deep, almost unconscious level what to believe, how to think, and how to live. We live in a moment where every screen that we look at is telling us the truth about something, the truth about who you are, the truth about how the world works, the truth about what love looks like, the truth about what purpose looks like. And we get to choose what we receive, but also how we respond. And even like thinking about your own social media, what would it look like to approach it with like what Isaiah said, the feet of those who bring good news in this, in this place of exile? What if instead of this endless scroll, you made it a point to, to like log on and engage people with that hope and joy? And I'm not, I'm not talking about like, oh, I'm going to post a barrage of Bible verses. I'm not saying that that's bad, but I'm, what I'm talking about more is the intentionality, the person. So not necessarily like, oh, what, what content am I making? But oh, what people are present in these digital spaces that I can intentionally go and love? What would it look like if you were scrolling through your social media feed and you picked people to say, okay, I'm gonna pray for you. I received a word for you. Let me message it to you. Oh, I'm gonna go through here and I'm gonna ask for peace for this person. Whatever it is that you would come with an intentionality to these spaces of media. If you're going into a FaceTime call, like let there be substance. Let us not lose that we are on mission to the world. We are on mission to our neighbors, our friends, our family to show them how good the news of Jesus is. That's what it looks like to live as an exile, but in like the very best way. Because here's the thing, as all these other forms are teaching truth, Jesus is is the truth. He is solid ground. And he is what, especially in a moment right now, when so many people are hurting, when everything feels crazy, he is the hope and joy and truth of the world. What is God's nature? What is his design for human flourishing? We get to know and we get to approach life differently. We get to approach technology differently because of it. So be someone with those beautiful feet, or I guess beautiful fingers in this scenario and bring good news to people. Because whether it's a digital environment that we're getting accustomed to, or it's our homes, or it's our workplaces, the environment of our world, Jesus changes things. Knowing about Jesus changes things. Knowing how he sees the world changes things. And we might think that it's a building that unifies us, that it's a place of business that unifies us, or a Facebook group that unifies us, 
but those are just things that create common ground. And God isn't after people with just common ground. That isn't true unity. He's after a family with the kind of unity that changes the world. Not the kind of unity that changes whenever somebody changes their mind, but the kind of unity that is greater than any of us, than each of us. So what's the answer to the question of what unifies us? What can possibly unify us, people with so many different ideas, so many backgrounds, so many cultures? Well, I think verse 37 answers it for us. So read there with me. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the great unifier. That question of, is it being a Jew that makes us one? Is it being a Gentile that makes us one? Is it being a part of a movement that makes us one? No, it is Jesus. It is what he has done. That is why Peter goes into this story of who Jesus is, the gospel, because he knows facing all those Gentile people, he was like, there is nothing like Jesus that could bring you and I together. There is nothing as true as Jesus that can bring you and I together to say, it's so much bigger than us. And it's so much better than just us. The good news has come to redeem all people. His spirit is available to all people. What makes it possible for an exiled person to bear peace and good tidings? It's this good news to all people. It's this gospel that God has been redeeming us from the very beginning. He's been putting words in the mouth of his prophets like Isaiah, things to come. He has been fulfilling every prophecy and in the death of Jesus, God himself defeats death and invites us to live in that kingdom. So we are new unified identity, our bearers of his, his name. We are his family bringing his kingdom here on earth. And he invites every single one of us and his Holy Spirit comes on anyone who says yes to that call. We receive the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit that doesn't play favorites because Jesus has redeemed every single one. This, you guys, is not a moment in history to sit discouraged, but it's to remember the depth and gravity of what it is that actually unifies us, that none of the things that we're missing right now were the things that created unity. None of the things that we have, our, whether it's our family or our friends, and yes, we miss them, and we love them, they're important pieces of our life, but what unifies us, what makes us a people, what makes us a family is Jesus. And he has not changed. He is the same and he is here. 
We are family because of the cross. We are family because of Jesus. So let's start from a place of knowing that identity, knowing who we are, that we are those who bring good news into a world that is hungry to know it, that we're bringing solid ground, what it feels like, what truth feels like, because he is truth. And because we do get to know this good news, guys, we get to rejoice. I know that things have been hard. I know that it is not an easy time, but we have reason for joy. And it's him. It's the simple gospel that gives us everything that we need. And I think that it's important in light of this, in light of Acts, in light of Peter saying, this is the message that I have to give. This is the message you have to know is who Jesus is for you, what he's done for you, and his Holy Spirit is for you that our response should be to take communion. And I know as a church family, that's weird. We're like, we're home, how are we gonna do it? Or I don't have, don't have the stuff. You don't have to run out and buy bread or wine. I was listening, um, I think it was Eric Johnson who said that they did communion and someone used a Kit Kat and water. You can, it's not about the substance, it's not about the thing you use, but it's about remembering together that good news that changed everything, that good news that unifies us. So on the activation for today's teaching, you will find some insights to take you through communion at home, um, as well as a liturgy to help guide if you want to have a guided prayer as you go through it. None of that's required by any means. Um, not that I can like reach in and require anything, but I would love for us to each take communion. And even at using that chat function that we have to be able to say, oh, like, here's how we're taking communion. We love you, family. We miss you whatever it is, but that we would kind of stop here after the service and just stop and remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Remember the gospel that we live in, this story that unifies us like no other story could, and the story that is truth for a world that is looking for truth so hard. So I invite you guys now to even um, just set down your Bible, set down your things, and I'm just going to pray for us and then after I pray for us, I would love it if you guys would click into that activation and kind of follow through it, take communion together. And there's a couple other pieces in there too to kind of just guide us out of this teaching time and into um, putting it into action. So I would love for you to do that. And let me just pray for you guys before we go. Jesus, you are, you are our unifier. You are our father. You are our friend. Thank you that you have already conquered the battle, God. You have taken the victory and we get to sit today and know that we get to know what good news is. We get to know what peace is and that you've invited us into this story, into this family. We're so grateful. I pray even now, Jesus, that you would meet people in their homes, that you would come and you would touch them, would just, just Holy Spirit meet them, love on them so much right now, that they would get to see and taste of who you are, to know, God, that you are available to each and every person, that you are wanting to be with us, you are loving on us. So even now, God, just with our hands open, we're saying, Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, we honor you. We thank you for your death and your resurrection. I pray that if there's anyone right now that's just heard your gospel read, Jesus, that you would be um, asking for a response from people that might not know you yet because you want to know them that there would be a revelation of truth, God, in ways that we haven't yet seen. There would be personal revelation that we haven't yet seen, that we can share with one another, God, and that your body would continue to be strengthened. We would continue to be known by you, Jesus. And so we love you, God. We thank you. 
It is in your name. Amen. Amen, church. I'm going to send you guys off to the activation. So good to be with you. So good to just get to have this family. We love you guys, and we'll see you soon.